to another edition of The Alonzo Bet. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. And today we could not be more excited to bring you the last episode before the season finally starts. Oh boy, am I excited for opening day. We're talking Thursday of, I guess it's next week technically, a week from yesterday as we record on Friday night. We will finally be watching baseball played once again. The wait has ended, Sam. Yeah, I am. I, I can't describe how excited I am. I was watching the Mets uh, intra-squad game on YouTube yesterday. I think that explains how excited you are. And, I think that uh, does you know, it just felt so good to be watching those guys on television again. Although I will say, I tweeted this, the Mets, whoever they had doing the broadcast for that game was no Gary Keith and Ron. That guy was absolutely dreadful. And I, I, I don't want to be mean-spirited. It was probably his first time doing the game, and... It was his dream come true, but like it was painful to listen to. Well, you hate to hear that, but you also got to remember that this is kind of a weird layoff for announcers and umpires too. So we may see a little rust on players, but we might also see a little bit of rust on some other parts of the game. And that's just going to be part of the craziness and the fun that makes this season so unique. Um, and with that, let's run through what we're going to do here today, Sam. We're going to talk about some news. As we mentioned, the season's starting on Thursday, so there's plenty going on in the world of Major League Baseball. And then today we're actually going to do something a little unique. We're blending our stats uh, corner with our final segment. We're putting them together, and we're going to talk about the over-unders on Fangraph's playoff odds and team wins for each team. We'll be able to kind of discuss... Um, a little bit of an aspect of each team. We've already done this uh, to an extent with our season preview. Now that we know there's six, only 60 games, we'll have some more insight. And we'll uh, finish up with our favorite opening day memories to kind of bring you into our baseball lives a little bit. I know Sam's got a good one. Yeah, and uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to get into recording this episode. But before we start talking baseball, I just want to give a public <laughs> service announcement to all of our listeners. And that is that the delightful show... Fuck That's Delicious with Action Bronson and his friends. Let, his friends. Big Body Best, baby. That's what that show's about. Yeah, I mean, Big Big Body Best, of course, a legend. It is going off Hulu on Wednesday. So if you have never had the delight of watching this show, you have, I guess, four or five days right now, get on Hulu. Watch Fuck That's Delicious before it's off. If you like food and or weed, you will love this show. That's true. Or if you just... Like comedy. If, if you yeah. like big guys acting goofy, this is a show for you. The only thing I would say that is more pressing than this is that you finish this episode. And then immediately to Hulu, I think. Yeah. Although, you know, this episode can wait. It'll still be there next That's week. True. So That's just true. make sure to listen to this episode. Before opening day. Before opening day. But honestly, fuck that delicious might take priority over this episode. Wow, that's a bold claim. But, uh, you know, I think that speaks to Sam's love for, for the show. And with that, um, now that you know that, we're going to be able to talk some news. Yeah. So let's start off the bat with some baseball news. Um, we got some COVID news. But before we get to that, we have a retirement question mark? Yeah, this happened within the last few hours. Domingo Herman, the Yankees pitcher who is currently serving uh, the rest of a PED suspension. He has 63 games left on the suspension, so he would miss the entire regular season in the 60-game regular season. Although I believe Major League Baseball was saying they would let him pitch in the playoffs. They would, because he already missed the 2019 playoffs. Yeah, so 
you know, he was going to be out this season, but he's now going to be out the rest of seasons because he has said, I left baseball. Well, there's nothing official here, but he did post on his Instagram account a story that just said, it was in Spanish, but translated, it just said, I left baseball thanks to my people, which like is just the most 2020 thing ever. We're like hearing about a PED suspended guy retiring maybe over his Instagram, but I have a feeling knowing the Yankees organization and the potential they see in Domingo Herman, my feeling is that this isn't over. Like until I hear something from his agent or from the Yankees organization, I'm not sure I am fully convinced that this is not just a moment of frustration for a guy who definitely cheated but is now being told that he can't, you know, play the game that has been his whole life, I imagine, um, has brought him into the country that he's currently living in and that his world revolves around. So this could just be a moment of frustration from the guy. Yeah. So I I have two points I want to make about this. The first is let's talk about who Domingo Herman was as a player. And that was, you know, a solid fourth or fifth starter already for the Yankees, Mm -hmm. but a guy who they also saw potential in has good strikeout stuff, uh, and really, like, I could imagine him turning into, like, a, maybe a good three or something. Like, Oh, I could even see him being a, a, two, a serviceable two on a lot of teams. Yeah, he, he is older than I thought uh, when, when I saw this news. He's actually, you know, turning 28 on August 4th. Mm-hmm. So Two I, days after my birthday, just so you guys know, you only have a few shopping weeks left. Yeah, uh, and you're going to have to give your address, Aaron, though, if you want the guest. Uh, just send them to uh, theAlonzoBet at gmail.com. I'll pick them up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, you know, older than I thought, but a guy who, you know, I think was someone the Yankees viewed as a, an important piece mm-hmm. in their organization. Uh, and then here's the second point I want to make. Domingo Herman has never been arbitration eligible. Yeah. He's arbitration eligible in 2022. So if he retires, we're talking about a guy that's basically made the major league minimum for, you know, two two years. Two and a half years. Two years plus 15 innings in 2017. So we're talking about a guy who's leaving massive earning potential on the the table if he chooses to leave baseball. You have to believe that in his first arbitration eligible year, he would probably make more than he's made the rest of his career right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it's a bit of a puzzling decision for, you know, someone who spent his whole life reaching this level to really leave before any of the, you know, obviously he's he's been well compensated for two years from a normal person's perspective. Mm -hmm. He made half a million dollars for for two years. Uh, But from the perspective of a baseball player, really leaving, you know, his entire career of earnings potential on the table. Right. So, you know... It, you know, I think if he's making this decision to leave the game, he must be very unhappy in it. And I, you know, I wish him the best in finding course, happiness. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just from a financial perspective, he's leaving a ton on the table. That's an interesting point. I think that's a good point. And we'll just have to see how this unfolds. Like I said, I, I don't think this is the last word on it. But, you know, when you need breaking baseball news, you know you can turn to the Alonzo bet as long as that news breaks on the same night that we're recording. Exactly. We'll bring it to you every time when that happens. <laughs> exactly. Um, In the COVID world, uh, the Braves are just riding a wild roller coaster. I guess since we were just talking about the Yankees, I should mention a roll disc tested positive for COVID. I think at some point this is going to 
it's always going to be news, but it won't be that newsworthy until it's like games that really matter. So yeah. at this point, you could argue maybe better they get it now than later in the season, because I imagine 25 to 30% of the league will probably test positive for COVID at some point this season. That's a... If that happens, I don't think we will see the playoffs. You don't think so? Well, no. I, well I don't think we'll see the playoffs. Uh, okay, I mean, that that's a separate question. I mean, I I think, you know, I, 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 I don't think that many people are going to get it. I think baseball will get their testing down. Now, of course, they're not in a bubble like other leagues, so... You know, it's up to the players. Right, to, it depends on how the players. It's behave. up to the players to behave, but you know, I I really don't think it will get that bad, and I think if it does, the season is going to be nixed rather quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it obviously sucks for these players to get coronavirus. You know, whether they get it now or during the season, we don't know the long term health effects of it. So it's definitely something to take seriously, even yeah, if they're asymptomatic. You know, of course, an, an open question is, though, is like, if you get coronavirus, is it going to be the end of the season? Is it going to be two weeks off? And, you know, coming into another player, we're talking about Freddie Freeman tested positive for coronavirus during the initial wave of, wave of tests in the MLB, and he's already been cleared to come back to the Braves right. and play again. So this is one example of, of the, the injury time being quite short, but of course other people have more severe reactions and you could easily imagine someone not getting back to themselves, missing an entire season. I'm imagining something somewhat similar to, to Sam Darnold with Mono and the Jets last year, mm-hmm. where even if the, you know, the sickness itself is over, you, you, could, you could still not be back to the prime athletic shape you need to be in to play. So, you know... Well, Mono's a unique one too because yeah. of the enlarged spleen, but... Um, yeah, the Freddie Freeman and Eroldis Chapman are probably the two biggest COVID names, um, who have gone obviously different ways in terms of health, but, um, are, are both making headlines. On the other hand, we have Yasiel Puig again for the Braves. Well, not yet, but reportedly very, very, very close to signing a deal with the Braves as of yesterday. As of late last night or today, he tested positive for COVID, and all reports indicate that that has put the halt on his negotiation with the Braves. He reportedly is asymptomatic, um, but I don't believe we'll see him sign until he recovers his health. Yeah. He is officially still a free agent. Yeah, and like a team is certainly not going to sign him until he has a negative test and it's sort of confirmed that... He'll be able to play. I actually but, think it's two in a row for, yeah, okay. for the MLB right now. Uh, and, and I think Puig would have been an interesting piece on the Braves. I mean, he's a guy who can definitely DH for them, could probably play some outfield. Because I think actually Mar- Nick Marcake has also tested positive for coronavirus. Interesting. So that so that's a piece that that the Braves would be would be missing. Actually, Puig I think is a is a good replacement for him. Uh, but of course, they they won't get that. And you know, Puig is someone who we're always going to be thinking back to his rookie year in 2014 when he looked like a true emerging superstar superstar in the league. Well, no, his rookie year was 2013. He played his rookie year games. and 2014. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, his rookie year and 2014 when he really looked like an emerging superstar in the game. Yeah. And, and since then, he's just he's certainly not been a bad player, but he's been a guy who's who struggled to be more than a slightly above average hitter. Uh, save you know, 20. Save 2018, he ha- he hasn't had a WRC plus above 120. Well, but since in fairness, in 2017, he was at 117. So if we're talking a 120 mark, he's basically within the margin yeah. of error in both 2017 and 18, which gives him 
you know, four of seven career seasons being pretty good and yeah. two being exceptional. Um, but I, I, I can't think you can ignore that the two being exceptional are the first two seasons of his career. And he simply has not been the same player since. Yeah. Um, that's definitely true. And of course, anybody who's watched Yasi knows that what you're getting is an intense love for the game, but a wild card on the field. You know, uh, he just plays with so much emotion that you never know if he's going to blow up either mentally or outwardly um, during a game. And, you know, for the fans, it's awesome watching Yasi run into a gang of pirates last year when he was playing for the Reds. Um, like that's the type of guy he is a teammate through and through, but as an owner, it's definitely a consideration. You're not just thinking about, okay, he hasn't really been a, a, you know, superstar approaching since 2013 or 14, but it's also, if I put him on the field one day, is he gonna get mad and throw a live ball into the stands? Yeah. I mean, I think. At this point in his career, he is certainly a, a good enough player that there are a lot of organizations that would be happy to have him on his t- on their team. Oh, I mean, pretty much he should be an everyday player for almost every team in baseball. He's definitely a good player. So. Yeah, um, and and you know I, you know I've I've always liked Yasiel Puig as as a baseball fan, and I hope he gets back on the field. And it'd be you know he's a guy that has such immense talent that. I I would I would never be super shocked to see him return to I would be shocked to see him return to what he was at the beginning of his career, but I would not be shocked to see him return to some level of like a a very good to borderline all star player yeah. in a couple seasons moving I, forward. I think he randomly could put up a five a four or five more seasons still. Um and yeah, we'll just have to see, but he's still probably the biggest free agent name out there, I'd say. Yeah, that's that's true for sure. Um and and you know that's that's the the transactional news as far as players are concerned. But there's there's another transaction in the works that I of course have been very excited about. I've talked about my hate for uh, the Wilpons, the owner of the New York Mets, many many times on this podcast, and they are in the process of selling the Mets, which has me very excited. And uh, there are three main ownership groups that have submitted bids. One is Steve Cohen who is considered the favorite at this point to, to sell the team, which would make him to buy the team, which would make him the richest owner in baseball. Uh, he, of course, famously already did buy the Mets uh, <laughs> for $2.6 billion, uh, you know, last year, but the, the deal was torpedoed. Uh, but of course now the Wilpons are forced to sell again. Steve Cohen's current offer is $2 billion and he's offering an additional one and a half billion dollars for SNY the network that airs Mets games and which the Wilpons own as well. Um, of course, uh, if if he wins at two billion dollars, the Wilpons lost themselves six hundred million. Mil. Just a cool six hundred yeah, million. Yeah, by by being idiots. Uh but the uh, the other two ownership groups involved are, of course, the the famously the famous A Rod J Lo pairing, yeah. who would not be the the main money behind the the thing. They have, they have other financial backers, but they have a team that that's putting a bid. the 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 word on the street is that the Wilpons would prefer to sell to A Rod and J Lo if the bids are 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 sort of uh, close are close. But but at this point, Steve Cohen, I think, is three hundred million above them. And also the Harris Blitzer Group, who are the owners of the 76ers and the Devils. 
There were rumors that uh, the casino owner, Sheldon Eggleston, was part of this bid, but thank God he was not because, oh my God, if we went from the Wilpons to Sheldon Eggleston, that would be... That would be Mets in a nutshell, baby. (laughs) Yeah. um, Of course, Steve Steve Cohen is not like a... The, the pinnacle of a good guy, right. but, but he's yeah. not Sheldon Abelstein. Steve Cohen is he's not the yeah. world's largest philanthropist, but yeah. this is an interesting time to see A-Rod you know, try and buy this team. He, I, I think we all may be familiar with the fact that he just came out with some comments about revenue sharing and kind of um, er, suggesting that the players should get on board with it. Immediately, everybody was up in arms and said that you know he is advocating for a salary cap he, of course, said, I never said the word salary cap, which is kind of an A-Rod thing to say. Like, But you did, though, because what else is revenue sharing? Yeah, and I, I think this rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, mainly because A-Rod was such a beneficiary of there being no salary cap in Major League Baseball. When he signed yeah. with the Yankees, it was the largest contract in MLB and, history. And it was also the largest contract in MLB history when he initially signed with the Rangers. Yeah. So, so he basically signed two of the biggest contracts in MLB history – he was able to make all this money that's now empowered him to be close to buying an MLB franchise. Right. And of course, once he's on the doorstep of being an owner, he now he's now advocating for revenue sharing, which obviously would help him financially if he was the owner <laughs> of the Mets. So of course, this is a bad look for A-Rod, and a lot of current players are very angry about it. Uh, the other news as far as A-Rod pursuing ownership of the Mets is that he will not be announcing Mets Sunday night baseball games this year on ESPN oh, because boy. of a conflict of interest. Are you going to be upset to see uh, A-Rod out of the booth? No, nah, I mean, I, to be honest, I, you know, if it's not Gary and Keith and Ron doing the Mets game, you I, got I, it on mute. I have it on mute anyway. <laughs> I, you know, I like I like Jessica Mendoza. She does. She does a she's good. And she's a Mets fan, right? She's actually part of the Mets organization. You know, oh, right. She an, is. Yeah, she she's an environment. I, although she might have stepped down from that, but at least last year she was an advisor in the Mets organization. She's close friends with with Brody Van Wagenen, uh, uh-huh. the, the the Mets uh, general manager. Who, I, you know, you know everything. You, you've have you seen Kalenic in uh, in Mariners camp? No, just, is he just raking just right now? home runs yeah. every simulated game. It hurts to watch. Uh, but you know, outside of this one atrocious, atrocious, atrocious trade. I, I've I've been happy with BBW. I think that's fair. I think know. he's done a pretty reasonable job. Yeah. And certainly my feeling, you know, kind of on the outside is I feel like the Mets feel more cohesive. They, yeah. they seem to be playing better baseball since he's taken the reins. Although and- I, I, I think Sandy Alderson did not get enough credit for what he did as the GM of the Mets. I mean... All of the players that are, are good on the Mets now were obtained under under Sandy Alderson's watch. That is basically. True. I mean, outside of JD Davis, who yeah. who, um, who Brody Van Wagen and basically stole from the Astros last year for close to nothing. But um, but but Sandy Alderson really assembled a tremendous amount of talent in the Mets, and a lot of it homegrown, considering how much he was hamstrung by the finances of the Wilpons and really having to act like a middle market team out of New York City. So you know. I I I I was very happy with what Sandy did for the Mets, but you know I, I think you know I think Brogy is growing into the role, and and I'm I'm optimistic that he's building a good culture there as well. All right, well if we let you go too long on the Mets, we <laughs> yes, won't have sorry. time to talk about anything else. But um, I have a feeling that's not the last time we hear about him here. The last piece of news is moving into another 
um, sports league, the NFL, but we're still talking about owners. There's this Washington Post article a couple days ago, um, basically with the claims of 15 women who published the article together and claimed they were sexually harassed while employed by the Washington Redskins. Who will no longer be the Redskins move, moving forward, although we've not heard the we new, don't know the, the name, name yet. Name. But that's the other part of news here is that they won't be the Redskins. So this is arguably the worst franchise in sports right now. It is an absolute dumpster and, fire. And as much as I complain about all, all the owners of the teams I like, Dan Snyder might be the single worst owner in sports. Which makes what I'm about to say so much crazier. Yeah. The NFL is letting the Washington ex-Redskins investigate this internally. So they already went out and they hired a, a law firm out of D.C. to do this. But they're talking about a, a, assault claims from 15 women who were assaulted by people of Dan Snyder's inner circle. And they're like, who's the best person to run this investigation? Dan Snyder. Just an absolute joke. And of course, Dan Snyder, a person who has been, uh, you know, totally non-responsive to... People try to, 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 to people trying to curb his action in his actions over over the past uh, couple decades as Redskins owner. I, I mean, obviously, this is insane that he's been given the power to have this this investigation run through him. I, I think the NFL needs to step in and remove him as owner of the team. Uh, if if that is possible, they never will, but they should. I mean, similar. I, I think it's it's reached to the, the point now where it's similar to when. The NBA felt they needed to 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 push Donald Sterling out. Yeah, but I, yeah, I mean, I guess this is different because it wasn't actually Dan Snyder who any of the claims are against. But it's still like it's still just crazy that the NFL is going to send in a team to do an investigation on the Patriots deflating footballs, but they're going to let the Redskins do this internally. And it's insane that in today's culture, where this is such a big deal, and if anybody's actually serious about making progress, they would take decisive action here. But the NFL is spineless. Roger Goodell's not even a human. This is another reminder that he is a robot. Hey, they're letting, they're letting Colin Kaepernick back, so they can do one good deed a year. <laughs> okay, they're, they're done for the year. <laughs> yeah. um, but we'll see how that evolves. Just... Just so frustrating to still see this type of thing coming out in 2020. Obviously, a lot of these claims are old, but, you know, hopefully what we're doing right now is flushing out a rotten system, um, but it, it doesn't always feel like that. So hopefully the the right thing will come of all of this, and Dan Snyder will be removed. The Redskins' name is already changing. Hopefully their culture will be reformed as well. Um, and that's all we got in news. Uh, it was a lot, but don't forget, we're excited as hell. Baseball's coming back, baby. So yeah. we want to talk about and, it. And we'll definitely have a lot, a lot to say about what happening happens on opening day oh, once, yeah. once games start. We and might, if, we might just stream you a live episode yeah. of us watching ball. And, and and if you guys have anything you want to hear from us as far as segments once the season starts, about you know maybe about some player that's interesting you. Do do we think their performance is real? You know, let us know, and, and we'll we'll see if we want to talk about it on an episode. Because we want to talk about what you guys want to hear about. Definitely. So, with that, we're going to go into our over-unders. Um, so, just a reminder, this is both the stack corner and uh, going to be the rest of the episode. We want to look at each team and uh, evaluate their fan graphs uh, playoff odds. Um, and so, this is a statistic, I guess. It's not really a statistic. It's kind of a statistical prediction. It is that, by definition a statistic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of a statistical prediction that Fangrass is making for how likely a team is 
um, to make the playoffs. And the way this is done is by using Fangraph's depth charts tool, um, which we talked about in the second episode. It's comprised of steamers and zips, and then they use actual Fangraph's employees to enter playing time estimates by hand so that there's kind of an observational element to it. Um, if you guys need a primer on zips, steamers, or depth charts, please head back to our second episode where we described it all. Um, we'd love to do it for you again here, but it's not quite in our time frame. Um, so all you need to know is that basically what they do is they use these uh, individual team and player projections to run a simulation. And then they simulate the season 10,000 times. Um, using the actual schedule played by each team, um, and they use those results to produce this statistic. So what you see is that if somebody has, let's say, a 50% playoff odds in the 10,000 simulations, they were in the playoffs for 5,000 of them. Yeah, and this is regularly updated throughout the season. So, you know, after every day of games, they'll rerun these simulations, and you can see your team's updated playoff odds. Yep. So, you know, I, I always love to look at this page during during the season while it's going on. They also have playoff odds graphs for, for, for all the teams, which sort of allows you to see how the playoff odds of teams change throughout the season. And they're often very beautiful, you know, representations of data that can show you, you know, pe like a team really coming from out of nowhere to make the playoffs. That looking at the Nationals playoff odds graph last last year is of course very it's crazy, cool, yeah. very cool to look at. So you know it's very fun to look at. You can see how teams' playoff odds change over over the season. But you know it's a really nice resource that Fangraphs has. But with that, we're sort of going to go through every team, talk about how many wins Fangraphs projects them for their playoff odds. Basically, our thoughts. You know, just give a quick couple thoughts on each team sort of tell you what we think about them and you know with that you want to just jump into it yeah why don't we start in the al east it's kind of a natural starting point um the fangraphs has the yankees winning the division with 35 projected wins so 10 games over 500 in the 60 game season and they're giving them a 73.3 percent chance to make the playoffs and to be clear when we when we give a percent chance to make the playoffs that includes making the wild card game yes it does. so the wild card game is is considered part of the playoffs and I'll, I'll just say that I think this is pretty good you know I might even if I were projecting give them an extra win or two but I, you know I think this is pretty legit one, yeah one thing I'll say is that you know with with real behemoths like the Yankees and Dodgers, they are they are teams that would have a much higher playoff percentage if we were playing in a hundred sixty two game season. Yep. For so I, I don't remember what the what the exact odds were for in a hundred sixty two game season, but I, I assume you'd see something like over ninety percent for the Yankees. Yeah, I think that it was close to ninety or just over ninety last year. Um, but of course that's the point is that with the shortened season, I don't think they factor COVID in at all. But with the shortened season, there's just a lot more variance in the possibility of the results because you're not really seeing um, you're not really seeing all those statistical anomalies normalize over a big time frame. But for that reason, I think it's legit. You know, I think they're probably the best team in baseball right now. But I I, I would disagree with that. I'd still go with the Dodgers. But I just like the type of like veteran and young mix that the Yankees have. Um, I guess they have comparable organizational depths when it comes down to that. But um, yeah, I, I think the Dodgers are a reasonable claim as well. But all, all I'm saying here is that they're one of the top three best teams in baseball, pretty much no argument. And they're only at under 75%, but that's because 
in 60 games, you know, someone could just be a dud. You know, Masahiro Tanaka could have five bad starts out of eight and, to and, start and, the season, and then they're in serious trouble. And, and we'll also actually remember that Masahiro Tanaka was, was hit in the face by a Giancarlo Stanton line drive. Right, and right. I'm actually not even – I've not seen any updates as to whether or not he'll be ready to start the season with the Yankees. I think he had concussion symptoms. I don't believe he's going to be ready. He just threw his first bullpen yesterday. Yeah, so so of course, you know, just missing two starts in, in a 60-game season is something like the equivalent of missing five or six right. in, in a normal season. So, uh, you know... That's a and, significant... Yeah, so. that, that's a significant loss for the Yankees in the season. Tanaka is, is you know, arguably their, probably their third best starter, but, you know, an important starter in their rotation. And and I don't love the the back end of their rotation. So so this is a place where where Tanaka being hurt definitely hurts them. But you know, okay, the second projected team in in the AL East is the Rays at 33.9 wins, sixty two percent chance of making the playoffs. And, and this is this is crucial here. Like over a full season, you totally expect the Yankees to win this division. But in a sixty game season, the Rays are only projected to win one fewer game. Right. So and one game, of course, is almost totally meaningless. Right. And you know you can easily imagine the Rays coming out on top in this division. Uh, I think the Rays are very good. I'd be, you know, I I'd I don't, be, I would almost say it's it's really close to 50-50 who actually wins the division. Yeah. Yeah. And. You know, and I also wouldn't totally count out the Red Sox from winning the division. Although They're, they obviously have a much worse roster than those other. That teams. that's true, but I, I, you know, I think they're good enough that they could win over a sixty-game season. They have a thirty-six percent chance of making the playoffs and a fifteen percent chance of winning the division, according to FanGraphs. Twenty-eight point six projected, sorry, thirty-one point four projected wins. I was looking at losses. I, I would probably go a little under on that for the Red Sox. I thought the Yankees and Wait, Rays Wait, you didn't were, give me your over-under on the first two. I, I think the Yankees and Rays are about right. I'd probably go slightly over for both of them. I would as well. Uh, but I, I the, the Red Sox, I think I'm going to go slightly under on. I also agree. I And this hurts me because I'm a de facto Red Sox fan just by the fact that it bothers Yankee fans so much. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I always like seeing the... I actually like the Rays as a team much better than the Red Sox, but I like seeing the frustration of Yankee fandom when uh, the Red Sox win the division. But they're kind of brutal this year. Um, and, I mean, Chris Sale could just dominate over, you know. He's, he's out this year. Oh, right. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're brutal. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that's too high for them. Um, that takes us to the Blue Jays, who are projected at 27 wins, uh, 27.4, so close to 27 and a half. 32.6 losses, um, and only an 8.6% chance to make the playoffs. Yeah, and I think the division is tough enough, and they also have to play the NL East, which is a good division. Do you know who they play extra in the NL East? Uh, I think it's the... Probably the... I mean, it's going to be either the, the Phillies, Phillies. The Phillies or the... Yeah, it's the Phillies. Because yeah. the Rays are with the Marlins, the Mets are with the Yankees. Yeah. Oh, I guess it I guess the, the it, it could be the Braves too. I'm not I'm not sure actually. Um, I would say the Phillies. They're geographically much closer. Yeah, um, but yeah, you know I'm going under 27 and a half wins. I, I I don't think the Blue Jays are very good. Um, and, yeah, I'm going under 27 and a half wins, but I actually might go over on their playoff odds just because like I don't know they're so young. It's still 60 games and like. 
I feel you like view them as sort of a high variance team where yeah. they could have some like tail outcomes that put them in the playoffs. Yeah, I think they're so young that like what the, there is a conceivable year. Well, and obviously this is true because in ten thousand simulations yeah, like, they must have made the playoffs eight hundred and sixty well, times. Yeah, like like if if Vladdy and Bovashed are just both awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, like Um and then yeah, then they could get some pitching performances. So I would actually say a bump over eighty six and a half and a half. I do want to make a quick point about Vladdy though. We talked a lot about how he was the worst third baseman in baseball when we were doing our division yeah. previews. He's now a first baseman, folks. Oh, so, officially? I didn't yeah. say that. So the, so the yeah. Blue Jays noticed. And, Everybody and, noticed. He was and, so bad. And, but but let, let's just make a, an important point here. The bat just became a lot more important. Yeah. Last year's not going to fly anymore right. with the bat. He, it, it's it's got to be It's got to be better than that, yeah. You know? That's a great if, point. If he wants to be a star. So uh, the Orioles, then, are at 21 wins... And zero point one percent to make the playoffs, which is an order of magnitude lower than any other team in baseball. The next lowest team in baseball is the Mariners. They're at one point one percent. This is zero point one percent. That means that in ten thousand simulations, they made the playoffs ten times. And what, you know what can we say? They're dumpster fire. Are they going to win twenty one games? No, I don't think so. No, I honestly, <laughs> yeah. honestly, I could easily see them win sixteen games. <laughs> yeah, like that's just crazy, but it could definitely happen. All right, so so with that, let's move to the the AL Central. Keep things chugging along. The number one team in the Central is the Twins, projected to win thirty four point one games, sixty six percent chance at the playoffs. I'm actually going over on this. I think the Twins are actually the type of team that are going to hold up well in a sixty game season. We talk about Rich Hill, yeah. the type of guy who is when he pitches in short stints can be elite. And maybe he can do that over just 60 games. We're talking about older guys like Nelson Cruz and Josh Donaldson, who if they don't need to worry about their bodies keeping up over 162 games, can really be elite. And, you know, I picked the Twins to go to the World Series in our initial projections. I think they are right up there with the Yankees, Dodgers, and Astros as really in the top tier of World Series contenders this year. I think they're just a great team. So I'm not as high on them, and I think the simulations agree closer to me because they only have a 7.1% chance of winning the World Series. Um, of course, that's heavily affected. But, I mean, the, the Yankees are 11%. Like, that's not that different. Yeah, but the Strohs are 15%, yeah. and the Dodgers are almost 20 um, But, yeah, so for the Twins, I would say I'll also take over on the wins um, and the playoff percentage, but I'm not quite as high as Sam. I do think they're a great team. And as Sam mentioned, the 60-game season might suit them. You don't have to worry about Nelly Cruz as another year older. He's just going to you know, play a couple games, hit some bombs. They still have a lot of strength in other parts of their lineup. And you could see a breakout from Max Kepler. You know, Martin Perez may be fine over the league. So I, I'm, I'm okay with this. I will also note that, that the central division is probably the weakest in both leagues. So, so it the, definitely. Yeah, so, so, so there's, there's a lot to be gained by being in these central divisions. Actually, I think the West may be weaker than the AL Central. I mean, having the having the Astros and the and the A's and the A's. The A's. Are I think the Indians are just as good, if not a better team, than the A's. Uh, I I totally disagree with. That. Oh really? Yeah, but I mean the projections seem to think they're exactly the same. But that's in wins. But the, but the Indian, even in playoff odds, they're really close. But but that's because the Indians are in the central. 
Like, remember, we're not playing in other divisions, so, like, the division you're in matters a lot. Yeah. Especially in terms of getting the wild card if you get to play the NL Central as right. opposed to the NL West. And one way to judge that, by the way, folks, is to look at Fangraph's strength of schedule metric they have on there, which basically gives you a ranking for how difficult your opponents are where 500 is, like, league average. Like, yeah, all the all the teams exactly. when they play that. So as an example there, the Indian strength of schedule is given at 478, while the A's is given at 493, indicating that they think the West is a slightly tougher division to play in than the Central, but they're so close that it's not really worth it. And and of course, the better you are, the weaker your strength of schedule will be because you don't have to play yourself. Right. Um, And vice versa. So the hardest strength of schedule in baseball is 521. Um, and that's from the uh, Marlins because they're playing all over the NL and AL East, which is brutal. Um, okay, so we could go either way on the Twins. Let's talk about the Indians. They're at 32 and a half wins and a 49.1% playoff uh, I'm odds. I'm under. You're slamming under on both. Yeah. Because I'm I, slamming under on wins, but over on the playoff odds again. I mean, I just don't. I mean, like, yeah, the Indians could be in the playoffs, but like. I just don't think the Indians are as nearly as good as the A's or Rays. I, I don't think I think they're barely better than the Angels. Um, I think they're yeah. It just comes down to to I pitching, right? I think Is their pitching going to dominate? Yeah, I don't know. I think they're barely better than the White Sox. Well, that's interesting. So the White Sox are at thirty point nine wins and thirty one point eight percent to make the playoffs, and you think over on both of those? I assume. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's about right, actually. But I, I guess I'm just lower on the Indians. Yeah. Uh, but actually, did, did you see uh, D- Dylan Cease, the, the forgotten man in a, <laughs> uh, on, on Pitching Ninja yesterday? He was throwing some nasty stuff. I didn't see him, but never sleep on him because yeah. every year you're going to think it's his breakout year. Are you uh, going to draft him? Uh, my draft is on Sunday, folks, so stay tuned. Next episode you'll be hearing about it. Um, I am not going to draft we, Dylan Cease. We, we there might, is no possible permutation where I draft. We might have to do a segment where you read me your team and, and give he, you and I and I chastise you for taking neither Jeff McNeil or Brandon. Okay, McNeil. let's see. <laughs> Let, let's see because I might take him. Remember, we're not doing the keepers this year because the weird season. Um, for the White Sox, I'm gonna say over on wins, under on playoff odds. Yeah. Or, yes, yes. Over uh, on wins, under on Okay. And, the, and then the last two teams in the AL Central are Royals, 26 wins, 5.7% playoffs. Tigers, 25 wins, 2.6% playoffs. Uh, honestly, I, 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 there's nothing to talk there's about. There's nothing to talk about. Like, I, neither of them are, probably neither of them are going to make the playoffs. Maybe they get hog and do, but. They kind of yeah. stink. Um, if you're a Royals and Tigers fan and we're really making you mad, write to us and we'll dedicate a special couple minutes to your team uh, on a future episode. So. Um, that makes the central, and then I think we got to move on to the west. So in the AL West, we have the Astros, of course, at the top, projected for 35.6 wins and a 78.8% chance to make the playoffs. I want over. I'm I'm going under. Really? And, and let me let me make let me say what my worry with the Astros is. Their pitching staff is basically Verlander and Granky. Two guys who are 38 and 37. That's true. Verlander was already injured. I think he's going to be able to start the season, but, you know, he wasn't feeling great before the season. And then after that, you have guys like 
who maybe won't, who will maybe be good, but they're major question marks. Josh James, Urquidy, right. Lance McCullers is coming back from Tommy John. You know, these are guys who like. They still have McHugh. Yeah, they still have McHugh, but you know, McHugh's a guy who's who's definitely worked better as a reliever in his career. Yeah, but in this season, I think that's money. I, I've talked about this before on the, on the podcast. Yeah. I think having like two four inning starters that you can piggyback on your fifth day is going to be a huge opportunity in this six. I guess, I guess here's my point: there are some, there are definitely like a you know a lot of outcomes where the Astros pitching staff com- turns into an absolute dumpster fire. This yeah. Year. Oh yeah, and, I think you're and, right. And you know, I think the lineup still probably carries them into the playoffs, but I'm not positive, and that's why I'm a bit worried about the Astros. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think that's really fair, and I think it's well explained. With the Athletics, we're at 32.3, 27.7 losses, 46% chance to make the playoffs. I'm going above. They just always find a way. Uh, and, and, they, and, and they are the type of organization that is going to be smart about a 60-game season. Oh, yeah, I guess I agree with you. I, I'm just lamenting the fact, like, I really want the Angels to find a way to make the playoffs this year. I want yeah. it so bad. They're the team I want most after the D-backs. And it's like, they can't if the A's play that well because you just know a wild card is coming out of the AL East. So, yeah. like, I, but I I agree with you, unfortunately, um, I think that this is basically right there with the Rays in terms of organizations best poised to succeed in this uh, uh, weird season. They're some of the most flexible and innovative. Um, so I agree with you, which brings us to the Angels at 30.2, basically 500 ball, just a tick over. But let's say Mike Trout puts up five, five war in 60 games. Maybe they, sneak, maybe they sneak into the wild card. Let's say Anthony Rendon also puts up three and a half war in those sixty games. Well, yeah, I mean, we maybe, can't like I can't forget they got a great lineup. Yeah. That's not what we need to imagine because those are things that could happen and probably did happen a lot in these simulations. What we need to question is who's throwing the ball every fifth day. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't know. I just don't know who is gonna pitch for them. Um, so Shohei might be good. Let's not forget about Shohei. Shohei could be good. I don't know how many innings they're going to get out of Griffin Canning. Dylan Bundy, I have no faith in. But at least they do have innings eaters like Julio Tehran on that roster now. So, um, yeah, I, I hope they do it. But I'm, I'm kind of pessimistic. I'll go under. Um, the Rangers, I interestingly think, at 28 wins and a 12.7% chance. Over I'm over on that also. I, I like the Rangers. and I, I think they have a sneaky good pitching staff. Yeah. It's not even that sneaky good. They have a really good pitching They have staff. a good pitching staff. Uh, Although it's assuming Lance Lynn is like still a monster somehow. Oh, and and Mike Miner, two guys who like. But 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 they also have Clooper this year, who I think is gonna have a bounce back. Definitely, I, I think. You know, I'm not ready to declare Kluber's time as an elite top 10 to 15 pitcher in baseball as over. Oh, definitely not. I'm sorry. I actually didn't even mention him just because I always think of him as he's definitely the best pitcher on that rotation, yeah. even though that's not how it played out last year. Um, I think let's just skip the Mariners in the interest of time. They're at 23 and a half wins, 1.1% chance to make the playoffs. They, they won't, so it's fine. Um, the NL East is an interesting yeah, one. Yeah, I think it's important to frame this as, let, let's go through the top three. Yeah, okay. 
The Nationals are projected at 32.7 wins. The Braves are projected at 32.6 wins. And the Mets are projected at 31.7 wins. So that's three teams within one game in the projections. And their playoff odds are also pretty similar. 53.8, 52.8, 42.6. Yeah. So, I mean, this is... It's going to be a bloodbath. It is. It's going to be an absolute bloodbath. We've said it once. We'll say it again. It's going to come down to who can beat up on the Marlins and who can take care of business in the AL East. And, yeah, the fact that the Nationals get six against the Orioles, it, it, it could swing it. 100% it could swing it. They're the only team in that division with the strength of schedule under 500. Yeah. And, and of course, the Mets have to play the Yankees in six. So, you, you know, we'll see. I'm, of course, you know, I'm going to say I'm over on the Mets, I'm under on the Braves, and I'm under on the Nationals, but, you know. I'm going to say I'm under on the Mets, I'm over on the Braves, and I'm under on the Nationals. I think the Braves are the best team in this division, um, but we'll just have to see. Yeah, and then the other two are the are the Phillies at, at 29.4 wins. Which, which, by the way, we shouldn't scoff at because that's three within the team that yeah, wins. Yeah. So. No, no, that's totally true. And, and, and the Phillies are a team that— Three you know, baseball games is yeah. still nothing. Yeah, the, the Phillies are, of course, a team that you know I don't think is on paper as good as the Nationals, Braves, and Mets. Right. But— you know they're they're still a good baseball team. Like they could still with ease, a lot of weapons. Yeah. Don't forget, and they could. You know Bryce Harper is liable to hit twenty home runs in sixty games. It's possible for sure, and, and, and you never know. Like Vince Velasquez could come out like pitch really well in seventy five percent of his starts, and yeah, you know they're, they're a team that that certainly has star power and certainly has talent. And I'm not going to write them out of the playoffs at right. all. But you know, you know, they're not. I, I do think it, it's correct to say that they're they're a tier below the the rest of the NL East. And then of course the Marlins, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs. Yeah, they're bad. Three percent, zero point zero percent chance to win the World Series. Twenty five projected wins. I mean, I again, you know, I think the Marlins are actually better this year than they were last year. They have like more major league players, mm-hmm. but they're not. You know, they're they're not going to compete in the division. Let's just right. move on. <laughs> so that brings us to the Central. This is another bloodbath. It's not as pretty as the one in the NL East, but you look this at... This is more of a bloodbath of mediocrity. Yeah, you look at the yeah. Cubs, Brewers, Reds, and Cardinals. It's 32, 31.5, 31.4, 30.6. So they're all within 1.4 wins of each other. The two middle teams are separated by a tenth of a win. The top three teams are separated by six tenths of a win. So, and, and this is the only division in baseball where no team is even fifty percent likely to make the playoffs. That's right. So you can see that the parity in this division is striking, and it's going to make it really difficult, but also could be fun. So we just said it's not quite as pretty, which is definitely true. But I'm kind of a sucker for the NL Central. You know, I think the Cardinals they're, and the Reds guys that play baseball the right way. They still do play old school baseballs. The Brewers, the Cubs, the Reds, the Cardinals. Um, I'm gonna have fun watching this. And then when you go down to the Pirates, they're 25.7 and 4.6 percent to make the playoffs. I'll they're just bad. do a quick yeah. over under: Cubs under, Brewers over, Reds under, Cardinals over. I'm going Cubs. Over Brewers under Reds over Cardinals under. So we did the exact opposite, which may not surprise <laughs> you if you listen to our NL Central yeah, review. Yeah, because we because we we switched the the two. Yeah, games. we flipped. Well, I was high on the Cubs and Reds. You were high on the Brewers and Cardinals. And yeah. this basically placed our guesses directly in between each other yeah. to give us no info. Um, but I think this is like 
we didn't gain any information from from these statistics. It didn't tell us anything about who has a slight edge because this is all within the margin of error here. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that brings us to the NL West. The Dodgers are the only team in baseball who are above 80% to make the playoffs. They're projected at 36.4 wins and 86% to make the playoffs. Um, and they have the highest World Series odds at 19.5%. At yeah. Uh, they're an amazing team, but I, yeah, I'm going to just say push. Uh, it's probably right. Yeah, I mean, I I think they're the best team in baseball. I would be absolutely shocked to see them not make the playoffs, even in the 60-game season. like B- Barring uh, health. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. But but they're also so deep that I, it's, you they know. They could survive they, it, yeah. They, they're going to survive health stuff better than other, than I think the other yeah. behemoths. Yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, the NLS is actually the first telltale sign that uh, this projection system makes mistakes because they have the Padres at 31.3 wins and the D-backs only at 29.5. So that obviously, uh, they didn't simulate enough seasons to get the correct numbers there. So you think if they do another 10,000, the D-backs are actually jumping the Padres. This was actually a, a, a tail... You know, so, yeah. a, a tail error in the simulation That's as right. far as the... This is like a three sigma, four I, sigma error. I don't think that the solution converts <laughs> at 10,000 yeah. simulations. Yeah. Um, but obviously, uh, you know, I'm going under on the pods, over on the D-backs, who they only have a 0.9% to win the World Series. That's absolute malarkey. They're at least 99% to win the World Series. Um, how do you feel? Yeah, I'm, I'm going over on the Padres. I, I quite like them. And I talked about that in, yeah. in our season preview. Uh, I, I actually think they they are definitely going to be in the in the discussion for the second wild card. I'm not going to say they're going to get it because the D backs. There are a lot of teams that are going to be in discussion there. They're they're really I'd say if if you look at this one two three four five six. Seven, eight, nine teams, teams playing for that yeah. wild card, which let's say is going to make baseball or, amazing. Or really even, year. or really even ten. You know, do you count the Rockies? No, no. But I'm, I'm counting. I'm basically counting every every team that's a contender except the Dodgers, who will not be a contention yeah. for that yes. because they're going to win the division. Um, the Rockies are at 27 and a half wins, 10.5 percent to make I'm the playoffs. The I'm Rock- slamming the under. The Rockies fucking suck. I'm slamming the under on the <laughs> Giants too, who are at 25 wins and 3.1. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think this is, yeah, I think this is a division where it's, it's, it's the Dodgers are gonna run away with it. Oh yeah, the Padres and D-backs are have some outside shots at the second wild card, and and the Rockies and Giants are absolute afterthoughts. I ten and a half percent seems rather high for the Rockies. I agree. They, they're not very good. They're really bad. Um, yeah, but that that's our season preview. You know, if you know, again, if I if I had to put some tears on this, I'm saying. The Dodgers, Yankees, Twins, and Astros are are the clear sort of four favorites to win the World Series. Yep. Then I think, you know, there there's a second group of teams, which is like the Rays, the Braves, the Nationals, the Mets, the Cardinals, the Cubs, uh, the Reds. Well, you know, I don't know if I should group all these teams together. It's tough. But yeah. but but there are a lot there are a lot of contenders that I could see in the playoffs that I could see making noise in the playoffs because the playoffs are going to be a crapshoot. Right. Anyone could win this season. But you know, I think I think I think it's really this top four, and then a lot of very good teams, a lot of decent teams, and a few very bad teams. A few very bad teams. Yeah, uh, I would agree. But yeah, you know. We'll see if we're right. I am so excited for this season to start. 
I, I'm craving it. I need it. You know, I, I'm just bored of watching random YouTube videos mm -hmm. at night. I need to watch Mets games at night. And with that, let's reminisce. You know, with the, <coughs> excuse me, with the season coming up, let's think about some of our favorite opening day memories. Um, I know for me, one that really stands out, and maybe this is recency bias, but one that really stands out for me is that in 2017, uh, which was really my first year in graduate school, um, or my the first MLB okay. season that yeah. I was in graduate school. I remember for. we I remember we were on you know the the circulator bus together. Yeah, and, and you know we were just talking. You know we we were we were somewhat friends. We played some basketball together, and then we we're talking about how the how the opening day would start, and we realized you know we we'd found a friend. <laughs> we got some we got some <laughs> yeah. baseball magic yeah. here, baby. Um, and I just remember on this day, the D-backs played the Giants. Um, I actually hate the Giants arguably more than I hate the Yankees. Uh, so I love when the D-backs draw them for opening day. Oh yeah, day. This, is, this is your weird, you know, you hate Bay Area I sports I hate thing. Bay Area yeah. sports. Um, and so the backdrop of this for me is just like, I was always kind of a D-backs fan, but not really, um, because my dad kind of grew me up as a Dodgers fan, and so I never really cared about the D-backs too much. Their home games aren't super exciting, and nobody really has, like, hometown pride of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Because they're a new team. They're a new team, yeah. and Arizona is a place where a lot of people are transplants from somewhere else and come with an established team. Um, so for now, I'm sure it'll pick up, but for now, there's not a lot of homegrown fans. Um, and, but for me, when I moved out to New Jersey – it was like one thing I was able to grab onto and be like, all right, you know, we all have friends from everywhere here at Princeton and they all like really root for their hometown teams. And I like really got into the notion of starting to go hard for the D-backs. And this was my first opening day, you know, with that backdrop. And it was Mad Bum when he was still shoving to an extent for his grinky. Right, right after he'd throw the complete game shutout against the Mets in the 2016 wildcard game. Yes, exactly right. Uh, versus Grinky, who was... An absolute animal. He still is somehow an absolute animal. But Bumgarner just comes out. He K's eleven guys in seven innings. Grind they pull Granky in the in the top uh, top of the sixth. And um, Bumgarner though, this is this is the fun part. Bumgarner blasted two bombs off Granky. You know, oh, Granky's an amazing hitting pitcher, but Bumgarner tagged him two times that day. And I was just you know stricken. I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna jump on this team. They're gonna let me down. Like I've seen him do for so long. And then, fittingly, in the ninth inning, uh, Mark Melanson, who was coming off of an excellent season, comes into the game with uh, two outs and nobody on. Jeff Mathis is able to hit a double. So two outs, nobody on in the ninth inning. They're about to lose. And then a guy who would become the hero of the 2017 season... Daniel Descalso, who I swear to God could, did not hit 250 in 2017, but like had every game tying and game winning hit that the D-backs had all year. He comes up with the game tying single, um, and eventually they're able to walk off on a Chris Owings base hit. Um, so for me, that was an awesome like kind of come to Jesus moment when, in this instance, Jesus is a Diamondback rattlesnake. Um, and it was an amazing game to watch two legends on the hill go at it. That's a, that's a, that's a beautiful one. Mine, of course, uh, relates to the Mets. And, and let me give some, let me give some context for this. So mine, mine is 2010 opening day with the Mets, which don't, I'm not positive about this, but I think this is the only opening day I've ever attended in person. Okay. Um, 
So so let's give I, I need to give some context of the 2006 to 2009 Mets to talk <laughs> about the the meaningful the, you know how meaningful the 2010 moment was. 2006 the Mets had the best record in baseball. They won the NL East. They should have been in the World Series. They lost in Game 7 to the Cardinals in heartbreaking fashion. Yeah. That Cardinals team is perhaps the, you know, one of the worst World Series teams ever. Uh, but they, you know, they ended up winning. Uh, but the the Mets, you know, but the Mets were a team of young players. They had David Wright. They had Jose Reyes. It felt like this was just the start of something. And then in 2007... Of course, there's the famous collapse where they're seven games up in the division with 17 games left, and they end up not making the playoffs at all. Legendary collapse. And, and actually, you know, at the end of that season, I was I was there for the last two games, uh, uh, including where John Mayne almost threw a no-hitter to tie them with the Phillies going into the last game, and then when Tom Levin gave up seven runs in the first inning to basically end the season uh, immediately. Um, 2008, they collapse again. They're up three games uh, with 17, three and a half games with 17 games left. And again, they miss out on the playoffs. Uh, and that's the last season, the last year of Shea Stadium. So it's sort of a heartbreaking end to Shea Stadium. As we're recording this, I have a final opening day mural, mural of Shea Stadium up. It's pretty sweet, I gotta be uh, honest. R- r- right in front of us. 2009 is the first day of City Field, the first season of City Field. That was a good year for the Mets. No, it wasn't. No, I know. They went like 70 and 92 or something. <laughs> but, but, you know, if I'm remembering this correctly, the Mets were actually pro- projected to win the World Series by Sports Illustrated that year. They got tons. And they won. They did go exactly 70 and 92. I just checked. Uh, they, they got tons. They got terribly injured that year. Injuries were terrible for them. But also the Mets decided to take a transcendent player in David Wright and design a ballpark that was exactly ill-suited for his offensive output in that he has incredible right field gap yeah. power, and they made the right right center field 415 feet. This, of course, eventually changed, but David Wright hit something like 11 home runs in 2009, and it felt as if the Mets had had this future Hall of Famer have like a new stadium totally breaking. <laughs> and that was the feeling going out of 2009. You know, th- Can this, you confidently this, say that was the feeling in all Mets fans, or, or was it your feeling? No, that, that, that was the feeling in Mets fans, that okay. we had sort of had this insane high in 2006 that ended, and this incredible future that we envisioned just quickly destroyed. In the course oh, of the, basically three in years. In the course of three years. So this, this all comes to the backdrop of 2010 opening day. And in the first inning, with a runner on, in David Wright's first at-bat of the season, he hits a home run to right field. <laughs> and this is this incredibly cathartic moment for Mets fans. We're going absolutely crazy in the stadium because we felt as if this new stadium had just destroyed the greatest Mets, young Mets player ever. And this was some evidence that it was a blip, that he was back, that he was still David Wright. And it, it was just an incredibly joyful moment to be a Mets fan. Uh, and, you know, I, 2010 wasn't a great year for David Wright. 2011 was an even worse year. So I'd say 2009 to 2011 were a bit of a down 
part of, of David Wright's The only Wright's years career. he ever really played in City Field. But then 2000, no, but 2012 and 2013 oh, right, right, right. was a return to really best in baseball form for Trout. You know, something for, for, David, for, Wright. for David Wright. That, that's, I forgot about 2013. That, that, that's how much I, uh, I love David Wright. I'm comparing him to Trout. But uh, something people don't remember about 2013 is before David Wright tore his hamstring. And that was really the last time he was really healthy. He was third in the league in war to Miguel Cabrera and Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, he was really one of the, the five to ten best players in baseball. And at that point, he was 30 years old. He already had compiled something like 50 war, and it really felt like he was a surefire Hall of Famer. Yeah. Then the spinal stenosis diagnosis came, and his career was very quickly over. It was it was great to have him as part of the 2015 team, but he wasn't really, you know, yeah, 100%. A, a, a core part of it. Of course, he hit that incredible home run in the World Series. But, of course, my general point here is that it, you know, after so after really a downtime being a Mets fan, this 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 one home run for for David Wright and being there to witness it really felt like a revival of the team. It didn't end up being so. No, unfortunately, but, not. but it felt like it at the time. They were under five hundred in two thousand ten, yeah. actually. Yeah, in no small part due to the fact that Mike Jacobs was their cleanup hitter on opening <laughs> day. But although Mike Jacobs had one of the most incredible starts to his career ever. I think he hit a home run yeah, in like his true. first four or five games. That's true. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention about the Mets on opening day is that Mets fans often have a fond memory of opening day because they have the best record of any team in opening day history. They are 38-20 and 20 in opening days. And that is made even more impressive by the fact that they lost their first eight. So in the last 50 opening days, they are 38-12. and 12. I think this has something to do with them having a, a pretty rich tradition of having aces on the on the on the team. Yeah, fair so enough. you know we're talking about Seaver, we're talking about Guggen, then Harvey, then yeah. Syndergaard, then Degrom. Like these are all guys who you know are going to get it. In two thousand ten, it was Johan Santana. Yeah, Santana as well, uh, of course. Uh, 08, 09, and ten probably yeah. Santana. Uh, and, and Santana's you know someone I didn't even talk about in in this sort of this long history of the 06 to ten Mets. Uh, but yeah, you know the Mets. The Mets are an opening day team. It doesn't go as well for them after opening day. But I, but I think this season, they're going to win on opening day. They're going to win on the second game. They're going to win on the third game, and they're going to end up winning on the last game, which is game seven, or or six, five, or four of, <laughs> of the World Series. Okay. <laughs> So let's end this. Sam, give us a uh, over-under prediction on the Mets. Give us a number. How many wins they got this year? Uh, 48. 48 wins for the yeah. Mets. You heard it here, folks. The Mets are going 48 and 12. You can put no, that let, in the let me be. Let me be a bit more honest. Last year, they ended the season 39 and 21 in their last 60 games, so I'm going 39. 39. All right. That is uh, slightly more realistic. Right, let me hear your, let me hear your uh, D-backs. The D-backs are good for 34 wins in a wild card spot. You can catch them uh, partying in the pool in right center field of uh, what used to be Bank One Ballpark. And you got Starling Marte as a massive comeback year. Um, big years from the boys on the hill. So stay tuned for that. And guys, I cannot stress this enough. Our next episode will be about actual baseball games that are being played that count. We are going to hit you with everything. We may just do, who knows what we're going to do. It could be a live stream. It could just be a full rundown of the week's games. Who knows what we're coming with? We are so excited. We can't even tell you yet. This will actually be the first, literally the first time on our podcast we talk about 
Real baseball. Real ever. MLB baseball. Yeah. We talk, we've talked we talked about, about KBO. Real KBO baseball. That's true. But not real MLB baseball. And oh boy, am I excited. So with that, though, we're going to sign off for this episode. We are your hosts. I'm Sam. And I'm Aaron. Remember to watch Fuck That's Delicious before it's off air. And remember to watch opening day of MLB baseball. But with that, that is all, folks. And we will see you on or after opening day.